you're listening to Four at the Back, and we're off to Euro 2020. Welcome to this first look at some of the games from Euro 2020 and four at the back. And we are back to a full compliment for this show. Uh, Joe, welcome back. Yeah, there's a few games to talk about so far. I'm going to deal with the elephant in the room right off the bat. Obviously, the sport became news yesterday during the game between Denmark and Finland. Once you know, this is beyond football at that point, we're not going to go into that in any great detail. So. Our collective statement as a group is just going to be get well soon, Christian Eriksen. And with that out of the way, we're going to move swiftly on to the other games that have been played so far. Let's start. I mean, we might as well start with the very beginning, which was Italy running out fairly comfortable winners and surprisingly comfortable winners, perhaps over Turkey. Italy are the best team in the tournament so far. Probably be quite by quite a distance, to be honest. That was a, a really, really good performance. And they, they just, from the very uh, the very first whistle, they pressed really high. They harried them. Spinazzola, absolutely barnstorming performance. You know, uh, at left wing back, like bombing down the wing all game. You know, Insigne was causing havoc, cutting inside. Berardi gave really great width on the other side. You know, Immobile got himself a goal. You know, midfield, Barella played really well. Chiellini and Benucci could have played the game in their slippers. It was a, a really, really impressive performance. I think the only thing that was surprising was that given what we said about Turkey in the preview, that they'd looked really good in the warm-up games, that they had a really good qualifying, it was a little bit odd that they set up so negatively. I think everybody was a bit taken aback by that because that's not generally how Turkey play. So strange one, but but Italy, great performance. And, you know, obviously we got Ness and Dorma before the game as well. So for for me and Maz, for 1990 World Cup veterans, it was uh, a pretty uh, emotional moment there too. So all things told, a really nice opening opening evening, I thought. Yeah, chill, chilling opening uh, performance of Nisendorma. Turkey, very disappointing. It'll be interesting to see if they can come back from that because that's the type of you know absolute battering that can really mess with a team's mentality. Hard to understand. You can understand why they sat back in the first half and you know I guess they did the job in the first half but once that first goal went in they just had no other option it was like they were sitting back on it and, and that was it you know that they had no plan b so it was nil nil or, or nothing for them and it ended up nothing you know Italy totally steamrolled them after the after they made the breakthrough I mean Turkey were poor weren't they they can't afford another performance like that um, and you've got to think that I mean, looking at that group, you'd thought Italy and Turkey would probably progress reasonably comfortably. And now it's not so clear cut with Wales and Switzerland sharing a point as well. So Italy, I, I think, were impressive. I think um, I'm not sure then necess- they, they might have sort of the stock may have risen slightly as a result of that game. 
game, but I don't think it makes them favourites. I think they came up against a, a poor Turkey side and and made it count. That's that's as much as we can say at this point. And there was an interesting situation in the other game for that group because for some reason, for the first hour or so, Wales came out and seemed to play against Switzerland as if they were the 1982 Brazil side. I mean, I don't recall <laughs> I don't recall seeing them play so deep as that as in a long, long time. And yet they didn't even try to do anything until they went 1-0 down. And then all of a sudden, once the, well, the game did turn at that point and they started to look like if they'd gone from it from the beginning, they wouldn't have had a lot more luck. But uh, I was taken aback by how negative they were. Switzerland should have won that game about 5-1. Like if Switzerland had anyone that could finish in that team, and Bola should have had a hat trick. Seferovic like missed a couple of good chances. Like Switzerland should have been way and clear in that game. I mean, all credit to Wales, they did show great heart and fortitude, as you always expect from that that Welsh team to to come back. And it was a great header from Keith Moore. I guess you know that's that's why he's in the team, obviously, because he he does provide that something different. But um, yeah, they can't they can't be playing like that again. Yeah, I mean, you know, the hope is, we, especially with, you know, the potential for three teams qualifying from a group, you know, that that could be a huge result for them, particularly when you look at how Turkey played. I mean, you know, most of these games we've had so far uh, have been pretty one-sided. So, you know, for, for the Welsh to come out with a win, uh, for, to come out with a draw is, is a big result. You know, you wouldn't fancy them getting anything out of the Italy game but you know with it going last if Italy if Italy beat the uh, beat the Swiss then uh, they, they might be foot off the pedal but you know you you've got fancy if you're Wales you'll fancy your chances against uh, for a win against the Turks and that, that's pretty much them through if they do I think the, the Welsh are one of those teams you probably could upset anybody on their day like they've, they've over the last sort of five six years they've claimed some really big scalps so um, I think having gotten a point out of a game in which they played reasonably poorly, and they'll they'll be they'll they'll be sort of fairly buoyed by that. I don't like this format where if you pick up three points and you kind of you you're pretty much going to go through because of the the three third place uh, sides. So it it almost sort of there was a couple of times on commentary over the last couple of games that it's been mentioned that you know teams may just play a little bit more negatively so they don't get beaten. Um, which may inform what you were saying at the very start there, Pete, that, you know, the team's inviting pressure on, but willing to soak it up because they don't want to lose. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are about that. Yeah, I don't like the format at all, like of, of, of the expanded tournament. It's nice to have North Macedonia in. It's nice to have Scotland and Wales and, you know, some of these smaller nations in there. However, the fact that they expanded it to you know, to 24 rather than 32 means that, yeah, you have this slightly strange qualifying system and it, it of well, certainly in the last Euros, it rewarded negativity. I mean, I mean actually, I'd say in, that, in that, this sort of first suite of games, it's really only the, the Switzerland, um, the Switzerland-Wales game and, you know, that, I mean, the first half of the Denmark-Finland game before the, the tragedy was... Uh, heading in that direction as well. It, that was a very poor game up until that point. So yeah, so I, I do um, I, I do think that this this tournament started really nicely um, compared to Euro 16, which was, uh, if I recall, like a bit of a damp squib of opening games. I think it's certainly been better than that. My OCD doesn't like 24 
32. I've got no problems with 32. I know that'll mean some very poor teams in there, but you know, I'm okay with that. At the end of the day, it's only an extra game over 16 for for each team that that, that gets to that point. That well, I guess for the teams that that go on to win it, they're only playing an extra game. So yeah, I I'd be more than happy with 32 and throw in a few more jabroni teams in there. Works for me. You know, it's always fun. You know, and you, you see these teams, they can do something in there. And you know, when you look at the teams that haven't qualified, you know, you'd be happy to see a Haaland in this in this tournament. A few others, I'm sure, that you could say, well, at least you could see a star player in there. Mm. So yeah, I don't I don't like 24. No. It's third place teams should not be qualifying out of a group of four ever in anything. No, I- I agree completely. I think it's one of those where I would, even if you do let a few more minnows in, two going through the groups is so much cleaner, and it would still do more for the quality than keeping it at 24 rather than 16, I think. Moving us on then, quickly, because I mean, we, there isn't a great deal more to say about that Wales and Switzerland game, to be honest, or the credit to Imbolo and James, who are probably the only two players who look like doing a lot for most of the time on the pitch. But move games that we have in the next group. I mean, Belgium kicked us off in reasonably impressive form, I think it's fair to say, against Russia, although the standard of opposition was about what people were predicting beforehand. Yeah, without the home uh, home advantage, they they were pretty much what, what we'd expect from them. But you've got to go out there and win those games, and they did the job quite comfortably, Belgium. So as a team that's not got a really really tough group one of those teams that are fancied and should qualify top of their group pretty comfortably you know they can only beat what's in front of them and they beat Russia pretty handily I'm very cynical about Belgium's chances in this uh, competition I know uh, Neil you picked them as your as your favourite for the uh, for the championships but uh, they've kind of got golden generation syndrome haven't they where there's almost so much expectation on them and actually a lot of those players are a kind of Perhaps on the wrong, the wrong side of thirty now. I guess, I guess we'll see. I mean, they they should progress from that group. I don't think they'll be tested particularly in the group. Particularly, uh, you know, we, we said we were going to talk about Dem- Denmark. I can't see being much of a force in this competition now. I could be wrong. It, it could be, it, it could be a watershed moment, but it certainly didn't help in the in the game they played. But it'll be interesting to see what Belgium do when they come up against one of the sort of the more serious sides in the competition. So moving on to today's game now, games rather, I should say. Well, let's leave the, the first game for, until we've got a clear run at it. So we'll go on to the, the middle game, which I think is probably one that people may not have highlight on, on their calendars particularly. But until the evening, this was probably the best game we'd seen. It was uh, Austria and North Macedonia. Yeah, Austria, slow start, I think it's fair to say, but eventually kind of overwhelming, a plucky, organised opposition and uh, a contender for goal of the tournament already in that one. What a fun game. That was a that's a fantastic game of football. Like both set up in a three five two. It was like tactically, it was one for the tactics nerds. Like it was really, really interesting. Like Austria just let their best player do what he wanted. So like Alaba played like Beckenbauer, like, you know, just wandering around the pitch and doing what he wanted. And it was really fun. Really fun to see, like popping up on the on the left wing to kind of put that pinpoint crossover for uh for Grigorich's goal, um, you know, he he was magnificent in that game, Alaba. Um, 
you know, Alioski, everyone's familiar with from Leeds, and he was brilliant for North Macedonia, bombing up and down the left flank. Pandev, like, who's like minor Maz's age, like scoring goals for the Euros. <laughs> like, you have to love it. Yeah, that's just what tournament football's all about for me. Like, you don't know anything about North Macedonia really, other than other than Pandev and Alioski, and then you you watch them play, and actually they are really quite dangerous on the break. You know that. And they didn't play negatively either. They played on the break, but but they didn't they didn't sit back like they wanted to win the game. So yeah, it was um, a, a breath of fresh air. I thought. I love the story of Pandev scoring the first goal for North Macedonia in a major competition at the age of 62 or however old he. Is. I mean, he's been, he must have been <laughs> like every version of FIFA ever. <laughs> But the, the the narrative of that is is brilliant, and it's and it's good. To, they're not there to make up the numbers, which is always the risk in an expanded tournament that you end up with teams there that are, are there to make up the numbers. But they they gave it a really good go. Um, Austria, they looked from what I gather, they looked very poor against England um, a week or so ago when when we played them in a warm up. But I mean, they they've got some good players, haven't they? I mean, uh, Arnautovic. Came on as a sub and was you know just making a nuisance of himself. Um, Sabitzer looks like a good player in midfield, and Alaba, as you say, was just everywhere. So that's not the most straightforward group to be in. I think that you know um, the fact that the uh, we'll, we'll come and talk about the Netherlands in a minute. But I think had they not got off to to a win, there there are some potential banana skins in that group. Yeah, you know, I, I tuned, I, I I turned this game on just before they scored their second goal, Austria. And from what I saw in that game, you know, they looked fantastic, uh, bizarrely. Yeah, no, and I, I think they needed to because the other two teams in that group are the favourites to go through. And, you know, they needed to win this game to really stay in contention. So we had uh, what was, as I say, the the best game so far and then what was it a little more than an hour later we had the game that we've just finished watching Netherlands and Ukraine and and that's now the best game I think that we've seen so far I think it's fair to say uh, 3-2 I mean come on we all reasonably fond of the Dutch here so wax lyrical for a bit it was oh, an absolute thriller wasn't it it was it, that's the kind of game you want to see in an international tournament um, and it was you know and I kind of I think it blows the whole thing open I think now that Maybe some teams have seen that, you know, the, the Dutch and Ukraine are going to play that way, Then, it, particularly in that group. Then um, it, it might make for some more enterprising football in the, in the second round. I mean, there's the, the, so many chances the Dutch created. You wonder if they did have like a, a truly lethal finisher in the ranks, then they, they might well be up there with the favourites. So, I, I mean, Weghorst did OK. Um, Luke de Jong. Almost had a decent season, I think, in in Spain. But you imagine what they would do with someone like a Van Nistelrooy or a Van Persie in that team, and you'd think they'd be right up there. Ukraine looked dead and buried. I thought they were gone, and then all of a sudden, the Netherlands were absolutely cruising, and then two goals in five minutes. But both good goals. Yarmolenko out of the top claw. It was an unbelievable hit, and then defensive laps and suddenly it's two uh, credit to the Dutch for, for getting their heads together and coming up with a winner. Yeah, I think they could be choosing between Van Basten, Burkamp, Hullet and Cruyff up front and they're still going to be in danger there because 
it's just the way they play, that how gung-ho they are with old man goalkeeper who don't look that comfortable and a defence, you know, without their talisman in Van Dijk and without their other guy tonight in 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 De Ligt. And as much as... Uh, uh, as much as um, as much experience as they've got at the back, because they do they, they do have a lot of good centre backs. However, they just still look dodgy, and I think it's just nothing to do with how good the players are. It's just how the Dutch play. It's how they play football. They're just wanting to attack, and you know the wide men today. You know, and I, I know when you're in a formation like that, but they were pretty much playing as wingers, whether it was Van Arnold uh, or. Um, the guy who came on for him, or, or Dumfries on the other side, uh, you know, they 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 were the most forward player a lot of the time. And yeah, they're always going to be like that. They're always going to be good value. You know, y- y- you look at uh, De Boer on the bench and think, I bet he wishes he was in there at the back. But it weren't really any different in his day either. That that's just what you're going to get from the Dutch. And good value for money in terms of entertainment. You know, it'll be interesting to see where that'll go. But yeah, just an absolute crazy game. I mean, you know, they dominated that first half, but it was still end to end and it looked dead and buried at 2-0 and somehow they came back, but they still managed to find a winner. More of the same of that across the board. Except England. I don't think I could cope with England playing like that. I mean, fair play to Boer for taking a, a leaf out of the Aussie Ardiles tactics manual. It was just like, I mean, Neville uh, on ITV said it was like an under nines game. And it and it was like it was, I mean, it was somewhere between like watching Keegan's Newcastle, like, you know, as it as the wheels were starting to come off or like, you know, or a bit of Aussie Ardila Spurs or I mean, you just don't see teams play that way in this day and age. Like it's very, very rare that you that you see that. It felt very retro. The game felt like something that you would have seen the the 2002 World Cup or, you know, something like that. It was a absolutely balmy end-to-end game. I mean, as Maz says, like Dumfries was absolute traction engine. It has been my big takeaway is this is the year of the fullback uh, with this tournament so far. Most, most of the men of the match in each game so far have been... Uh, a fullback, you know, Spinazzola for Italy, Dumfries um, for the Dutch, Trippier for England, play for a world today. Like, lots and lots of good fullbacks going on. Van Aal had a good game as well, uh, as, as Matt said. So, um, I think the first good team the Dutch play, they're going to come very, very unstuck. They just aren't organised enough. Um, talented players, obviously, but um, I think this is a tournament too early for them. If Van Dyke was there, it might be a little bit different. But yeah, I, I can't see them going very far. They'll come out of that group. But I haven't actually um, <laughs> looked at the draw in advance. So I'm not sure who they'd play. But yeah, I, d- I don't know how far they'll go. But yeah, while they're there, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I think that's a perfect time for us to move on to the game that we're probably all most interested in. I'm going to start off by pointing out that I managed to keep us very much on brand with the being shaky on the facts with my prediction that Southgate would be very negative and pick three at the back. Nope. Uh, that Croatia would probably win that game and pass us to death. Nope. None of these things came to pass. I was as accurate as ever. But 
rather than me dwelling on my inability to pick anything correctly, uh, what did you guys think of England's 1-0 win in what I think we're all say is, on paper, the most difficult of their group games against Croatia? Impressive. I was rather impressed with, with how we played today. And Croatia looked like an old team today. Let's not get it twisted. They look, their, their star players didn't look like they did in 2018 which was good for us but we were we've had a, a lot of youth coming through today and I think you know there was a lot of talk before the game over Southgate's picks and at, at the end of the day I think he, he was proved right in everything he did uh, Trippier had a, had a very good game at right back and you know if you want to talk about a right-footed player playing yeah. uh, left back sorry if you want to talk about a right-footed player at left back just look at how good Spinazzola was for for Italy so you know it can happen and I've got to say I've played uh, team of the season Trippier at left back in in my um, uh, in my FIFA team as well a couple of times so you know I can understand Gareth's move there but yeah he, he didn't put a foot wrong he looked good I do wonder how much of that was to counteract Vasalico's ability to get forward, who has caused us problems in the past and is a teammate of uh, Trippier. In fact, they're two guys fighting for the same position, I guess, at Atletico. So, you know, Trippier would know him well, so I wonder if that actually played a, a part in it. But either way, it, it, it turned out to give, be a good move. Trippier played well. Mings did very, very well at the back. And, you know, Sterling was a strange one. It, it's a tough choice. And I think it shows we're in a very good place going forward where you'd even think about dropping Sterling no matter what kind of form he's on. Because, you know, he, he's a world-class player in that position. But, you know, obviously Grealish has has had two really good seasons in, in the Premier League. And, you know, a lot of people were calling, uh, calling for him to start. But Sterling looked really lively today. Really good. Got the goal. But not just that. He, he looked dangerous. Uh, throughout the game and always looked like he was there or thereabouts to do something and you know it, it proved to be the right decision his I movement think... was superb throughout wasn't it oh, yeah, yeah absolutely he was he, he was he was a thorn in their side all day I think I think Southgate had I mean there were four or five sort of big selection calls I think I mean obviously with the, the four right backs in the squad that became three it was I, I didn't expect Walker to play right side of um and he looked a bit iffy on the ball at times but defensively he was he was excellent really uh Trippier as, as Mal said played well Mings I've heard a lot, I didn't watch any of England's warm-up games but there were uh worries that he'd be very suspect uh at the back but he was he was excellent today he didn't put a foot wrong and I think thought they they'd try to target him it seemed that every time the ball came came over they were they were targeting Mings rather than Stones and they were target, targeting Trippier I think for the same reason and both both came up with answers Sterling had one of those I think if, if he was on brilliant form and he played like that you know he, he gave the ball away a few times but he looked very dangerous and we think well decent performance so I think he that that paid off and perhaps the biggest success of them all was Calvin Phillips in the field yeah, I think if Henderson had been fully fit, I would have thought that Southgate would rightly or wrongly. Um, but Phillips played—he you know, played in a more advanced role than we would generally have expected him to play for England, and certainly that he's played for Leeds. He looked a threat. He created the goal. Um, he was—he was brilliant. 
every single one of those sort of question marks select put their hands up and played well and um they've maybe forced a, a, a some interesting decisions particularly when I, I don't think harry kane was great today i don't know what your thoughts on that are neil I, I, he didn't look sharp he didn't like he knew where he fit in the system really it was it was it was a bit weird i mean the thing about kane is that he can look really awkward when you see when when Kane plays and he doesn't score he, he sometimes can look like he doesn't really know what's going on and yeah. like and that like the game's passing him by a little bit actually I, I thought I thought like he he kept a lot of the Croatian defenders occupied which allowed Foden and Sterling to kind of do some stuff in between the lines because you know he was he was doing some quite clever stuff, dragging the centre halves out. So that run that Sterling made was through Kane's channel um, mm, for the for the goal. So yeah, I mean he, he he always does a lot of the unsung work. He wins a lot of he wins a lot of fouls, backing into the backs of defenders. He doesn't mind getting kicked. So it was a hard working performance from him. But but yeah, certainly he 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 wasn't at his um at his his best. There was definitely that that chance. I thought he should have scored that really. I mean, I think it was it was a funny game. The first 20 minutes, England looked like world beaters. Like Foden was zipping around everywhere, looked absolutely brilliant, hit the post. They were pressing the life out of them. Mason Mount and Calvin Phillips were all over them every time. And Foden, like every time Croatia had the ball in defence, they were zipping around them. I thought you really saw the wisdom of seeing all those Man City and Chelsea players in that sort of attacking midfield area because they press so much the club sides you could really see they were doing that as Maz said like you know Croatia liked to you know to circulate the ball around they weren't letting those ball playing defenders do that they weren't letting Modric and Brozovic settle on the ball and then the second half of the first half Croatia got hold of the ball and England suddenly looked like they'd run out of ideas and it actually looked like it was heading a fairly ominous direction that sort of second part of the first half and then you know, second half, um, I felt like in the sort of passage of play before the goal, like Foden started to come off his wing and started to wander about a bit more. And England suddenly looked like they had a lot more ideas. Um, and then you had Phillips, you know, on that brilliant charging run. And the, the weight of pass for Sterling was fantastic as well. And uh, fair play to, to, to Phillips for completely adapting his role to what he usually does. You know, I, I feel like if you'd said to me before the game that he was going to play as number eight I'd have said you were mad but but he was he was absolutely fantastic player of the player of the match for for an absolute certainty and you know it it, it just shows you like on paper it looked like Southgate was going for a very conservative double pivot with with uh with Rice and Phillips but actually it, it turned out to be anything but and I think it was actually fair play to it was on co-coms with Jermaine Gina saying you know that he thought in the warm-up games that Henson and Rice got in each other's way and, and that it looked like, no, it's not Henson and Rice, but Phillips and Rice got in each other's way. So it looked like Phillips was consciously getting further forward so that Rice could do that sweeping up without, you know, without somebody else, you know, in that, that, that portion of the pitch. So, so yeah, once they got the goal, they never looked like, they never looked like um, conceding and England looked like they were very, I mean, that last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the game, like England just, you know, they saw it out like a, like a veteran Juventus team in a Champions League semi-final or something. You know, it was 
very professional performance in those last 10 or 15 minutes. Completely opposite of what you saw against Croatia at the 2018 World Cup, where it looked like they just couldn't hold a lead for love nor money. So, I think they, 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 look like a fitter, they looked like a fitter team. I think you know, as far as the advancing age of the Croatian backbone is, is, is one thing. But, I mean, the, the heat was, was always going to play a part. And I think there was a concern that, you know, if Croatia did get did get hold of the game, then, you know, they could play it at their pace and, and we'd just be chasing shadows all afternoon. But actually, for a lot of the game, England were on top. England dictated the pace. Croatia faded away towards the end. And, and as you say, after the goal, they didn't really pose much of a threat because, well, half the team were knackered. Yeah, so, and, and England just, you know, England actually had more possession in that game. Like, that's yeah, never happened loads, before. Lo- that's never happened before. Like, you know, in a, a major tournament game against a, inverted commas, continental technical footballing side, for England to have, I think I think I saw this, I think it was 57% possession against a team like Croatia, yeah. like, that is huge progress compared to previous tournaments. 2018 is now three years ago. I think this extra year is probably going to help England in, in a lot of ways. But, you know, we were a, a very young team in, in 2018. A lot of the better players are still in there and are three years more experienced. Whereas in arguably the weaker positions, we've got younger players who are coming through. So I think that balance is, is really helping things. And I know we're still one of the younger teams in the tournament, but, you know, you're talking about a lot of experience now. And even those younger teams are a lot of it, uh, have a lot of experience. You know, you've got, you know, even you look at Mount and Foden, who just played in a Champions League final. Kids as they are, they're, they're exciting, exciting young talents. And I think that three-man midfield really, really good today mm-hmm. in Mount, Rice and obviously Phillips. If that can carry on, it had a really nice balance and I have not watched any of the warm-up games, but, you know, it, it very much felt like a 4, and 8 and a 10 in they there. Much, they did a much better job this time of managing Modric and his influence on the game. In the, in the, the World Cup semi-final, they pretty much just left him to it and gave him all sorts of space and he could just ping passes or just do what he wanted and... and Today, they didn't really, you know, of course, Modric is a world-class player. He, even at 35, he's he's going to do something in the game. But they, they, were, they were much better at closing him down and not giving him space. And and um, it meant that Croatia had to do something a bit different. And they didn't really have an answer to it. Well, if I can ju- jump in and tie us back into something that you were saying earlier on. Because I obviously picked Croatia to win this group. And I think one of the things I was surprised about was... The mentality um, that they came well. into this, to, yeah, the men, the mentality that they came into this game with, um, because I didn't think it looked like they were out there to win the game. It almost looked like they were there to not lose it, uh, which may tie into what you were saying first of all about not losing that first game and maybe a little bit of negativity. And if they get past England, they wouldn't expect to lose over the other two. So uh, what it looked like to me was they were almost surprised that England were going out to win it too, and then they couldn't really change gears too much once that. That had become clear. So they raised their game enough that it kind of cancelled out that early phase when we looked dominant. But there was nowhere else to go because once you come in flat, you almost can't get like proper, proper sharp. And I think that was another difference that that I noticed as well was that there was just very little genuine pressure, even when they were keeping the ball or very little desire or drive to go forwards. Other than that, I think I I thought they lacked a a focal point, you know, like without Mandzukic there, 
do you know what I mean? The possession, mm-hmm. it didn't get to the final quarter of the pitch. You know, they'd get to the 18-yard the box and, and, and they wouldn't really have a way through. And that's where you really miss some of that Lanzukic that was so that was so so good for them for so many years. That yeah. was the thing is at their best is it would just be passed around the edge of the box and they'd keep it for a minute, but it would just go around the box and it's like, well, if you were really trying to win and trying to do something, there would be more bite, there'd be more drive. Someone would make that extra pass or whatever that cutting pass. And uh, yeah, maybe so there is something like someone up front who's more of an obvious kind of pivot for those other players to move around would have made a difference. Possibly, but you know, I think Modric did look very, very old today. It, it, he looked like it had passed him by, and it might be the odd game. You know, it, it's been a tough couple of years for everyone in football with the way the game's gone. So, you know, for someone who is really in the twilight of their career, it's got to be hard to come out and play a summer a summer tournament after how these last two years have gone. Perisic ha- had a couple of moments, but again didn't quite look the player I thought the biggest danger at that team were, were coming from the fullbacks you know if you thought something was going to happen with, with Croatia it, it really did look like the fullbacks were going to be the ones that would create it but you know uh, as Neil was saying there wasn't really anyone up front to help turn that around for them they, they, yeah. they, they weren't impressive today and that, that you know that might change going forward it's understandable they'll set up defensive as much as you could argue they were in the World Cup final just three years ago. They're playing away against a team that they snuck by in the semi-finals. Essentially an away game. It's got to feel like an away game for them. Crowds there are going to be very, very English. So it's understandable in a way if they did do what you said, Pete. You know, just go out and try and get a draw. You know, knowing that the, you know, on paper the easier games were to follow. Yeah. Uh, other than than that, I was just going to add that uh, I kind of agreed with what you were saying about how all the controversial, if you like, selection calls all seem to pay off. I thought Mount played really well. Phillips, as I think we can probably all agree, was the the surprise package and the man of the match. Um, Mings did really well, centre half. We kind of have a bit of a there's a bit of a debate, obviously, about his merits, but I think more more Villa fans would say he's underappreciated than over. Uh, and the one thing that he does is make the other defenders around him better because if you look, he's always shouting, always pointing, and that might be exactly what someone like Stones and Pickford might actually need uh, in and around them. And, and yeah, Trippier played well as well. So I suppose just to finish us off, I thought I would ask the, the last question. There's been a little bit of controversy around the starting eleven and who gets picked. So do you think we see the same eleven against Scotland, or do you think Southgate picked a team to deal with Croatia and that we might see somebody like uh, Jack Grealish against Scotland. I don't think Grealish comes in at this stage. I think if there is going to be changes, it would be, you know, if Maguire's fit, I think he comes. And I think if he does come back in, then I think the, he may pick Shaw on the left rather than Trippier. Um, I think that the Trippier selection was one for a bit of a, a bit of experience, given that Maguire wasn't in the team, um, and also to deal with the Versalaco threat. As you as you pointed out earlier, Maz. So, if there are going to be changes, I think it's more likely to be there. I'm not sure where th- this tournament's quite going to see Grealish start against Scotland, um, but I, I would be surprised if he didn't feature at some point. I think I think that um, there will be a degree of rotation from Southgate, and he he will change the formation. He's shown that he he does change his formations, like he he doesn't play the same 
he doesn't often play the same exact lineup twice or the same formation twice. Yeah, you know, although it's kind of you know you might say that you kind of go between a you know a three four three four three three four three two sorry four two three one, but you know there are sort of little tweaks and variations that he does. Scotland, I mean, we said before the tournament that he loves Sterling, regardless of what sort of form Sterling's in for club. I I, I think that he will start him most of the time. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I mean, I, I mean, he scored the winning goal today, so how can you leave him out? I suppose. Um, what I would say is I was disappointed that Rashford was the sub, because Rashford just looks in absolutely awful form, like just doesn't look like he has any confidence whatsoever. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, Grealish as the um, as the impact sub today rather than Rashford. I understand that you might have been like, oh, I stick some pace on and stretch them late game, but every time Rash got the ball, he just looked like he didn't have any idea what he was going to do. So for me, I'd almost be leaving Rashford out of the match day 23 and, uh, you know, and having Sancho and Grealish as those players to come on. Cause I just, what did I just, you, what did you make of Sancho being left out of the, the squad? I mean, surprised. bizarre, but, but at the same time, like there's, I, I guess it's that sort of thing that says, well, what if my, what if my goalkeeper and my second choice goalkeeper both get taken out? <laughs> like, I guess that, that, probably <laughs> ha- that probably has gone through his mind, doesn't it? Like, because you never know. Like, it's it's unlikely, stick, but he's like, got the, a lot they, of attackers. They, he's got Kyle Walker in the squad. He'll go and goal. That's true. <laughs> Walker's Walker's probably a better keeper than Pickford. <laughs> no, I understand it. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of attackers up there, and you know if he don't think he's going to play. If if uh, Sancho's not going to get on, regardless, well, what's the point? You, you know, like you say, you'd rather have that fail safe if you get two goalkeeper injuries, which is a totally mad thing. But, you know, it's understandable. In, in a normal tournament, you'd have 23 players and three of those would be goalkeepers. So, you know, it they're there for a reason. And I know that do reason they, probably is you they, might get a long-term they, injury on one, not pick. in one match. Do they have to name the three goalkeepers, do you think? Is that... No, no, he doesn't have to. So that was his choice. Um, like, yeah, I guess you, the thing is he has to have Calvert-Lewin in there because, like, that's your only sort of, you know, direct backup to Kane. So I suppose from a, yeah, from a kind of process of elimination, that's why Chilwell and Sancho were the two because Luke Shaw was the backup left back. And so, yeah, so, yeah. It, it... It makes sense, you know, if he's if, if he's favouring Rashford, which he clearly is uh, off the bench uh, uh, as an uh, uh, as an attacking wide man, you know, as a more direct attacking wide man, and Grealish as the more creative wide man. The other option, Saka, who can fit in pretty much everywhere, certainly more defensive minded as a wide man, yeah, as an attacking wide man. It makes sense to me, you know, if you're if you're doing that, I, I think it's probably one of Rashford or Sancho. <laughs> that misses out because you're not going to put both of them on. So to, yeah, I wouldn't read much into that. To Joe's point a minute or so ago, Harry Maguire is apparently targeting the final group game uh, to return for. So it sounds like he may not be fit. So there's potentially an argument for going with the same back four against Scotland, or maybe maybe playing with a slightly more attacking left back, but perhaps. To your to your original question, which I've not actually answered yet, I'd absolutely 100% go with the same side. 
the, the side did, did the trick. I think you've got versatility in that, that midfield trio where you, you've seen today that Phillips can play more attacking, but if he needs to sit back in, we know that he can do that. And, you know, I 100% go with the same team against Scotland. And if we get through there and we qualify, then I'd play about with it and give some people a chance. I think I'd probably go with the same team, even though obviously I would like to see Grealish play. I think the two reasons for that are one is that after a fairly impressive start and first few minutes, I'm not sure Foden did a great deal after a certain point in the game, but I also think you don't drop a young kid with that much talent and upside after one game. I don't think that's good for anybody, so I would certainly give him another run out. The other reason is that although there is a tactical argument for leaving Sterling out against Scotland, who are probably going to be deeper and there's going to be less space for him to move into and around, there's a part of me that thinks I would still start him after he's had that game that he's just had and he's uh, he's done what he's done. And if Scotland are playing deep and we can't break them down, you can always introduce Grealish later and he's still going to be able to do the same sort of things. And it's just going to be another look for Scotland, something they have to deal with late. So I think I would probably go with the same 11 on the, the premise of we're still you know finding our way into the tournament and there's room to rotate and stuff a bit later on. Yeah, I think Gre- you know Grealish has nothing, you know, Sterling needs a confidence boost because he's not had the greatest of seasons and today will have given him that and I think to sit him on the bench for the next game will would be a very 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 bad move because you're you're potentially ruining all that good work and Grealish we all know what he's capable of and we all hope we we get to see that at some point in this tournament you know I don't think that's uh that's something that anyone, the whole country was behind Grealish getting in the squad. And you don't want someone with that level of talent in the squad if he's not going to play. And I think he will play at some point. Whether that will be, hopefully, you know, getting a start once we've qualified in the next game, if that's what happens, touch wood. Uh, or coming off the bench to try and turn a game that, that we're struggling in. It'll be one or the other, but, you know... What what I really want to see is Gareth Southgate have a real headache with those two. And if Foden continues to play well and Sterling shows what, what he's shown today and if Grealish can come on on a cameo and, you know, make an impact, that would be a really good headache to have. You know, what I'd really like to see, actually, is against Scotland and the Czech Republic, you know, there's almost an argument for one of those players playing as an eight. So against a team like Scotland, there's no reason why you shouldn't have Mount and Grealish as your eights with with Rice sitting because they've both played as eights for their clubs. You know, Grealish, I know people think of him as being a, a kind of number 10 off the left now, but, you know, he did play a lot of eight for Villa in the championship. So, like, I do think against teams that are going to sit, there's a, a kind of argument for including your creative players if you can get them in. And that's what Pep does. He has De Bruyne and Bernardo or De Bruyne and Gundogan as is what he likes to call his free eights. You know, just kind of wandering about the place and, and, and dictating the play. And then you can still have Foden and, and Sterling as well. So that there's a, I think there's an argument for doing that. I don't think Southgate would do it because he's, you know, naturally quite conservative. But that's that's certainly an option late game if it's nil nil you don't have to take sterling off you know you you can you can throw Grealish on 
in place of uh, in place of Phillips or something like that and and kind of liven it up that way or push Foden back into the number eight role um, and put Greenish on there. So there, there are there are lots of options. One thing I'd say about Scotland as well is that Andy Robertson, Scotland don't actually they don't play actually very conservatively. They do. They do look to attack, particularly with Andy Robertson down the left. So Sterling might get quite a lot of joy if Robertson is bombing on. So that would be quite an interesting thing to see how that pans out. Tierney will put him in his pocket. Yeah, I mean, Tierney is a, as the left side centre-back for Scotland. He plays really, really well, doesn't he, there? I think yeah, I, he I, did for us when he's done it there as well. I think I, I, I was surprised to see England actually be positive in the opening game for once. I think it caught everyone by surprise. And I think it's nice to sort of see if they can actually wrap the group up against Scotland and just, just try and do it again. I think... Yeah, I, I don't think it really matters who starts out of Sterling and Grealish. I think the wh- whoever comes on after 65 or 70 minutes is going to be, you know, going to be a threat. I mean, Grealish is in good form, and and there's obviously a lot of public support for him. Sterling's obviously will, will take some confidence from his performance today. So I don't think either way it matters who, who gets the knock. I think the other one will will have a part to play. Um, I think there may be one or two changes, but I think it, it will be down to rotation rather than performance. Because I think pretty much everybody performed today, and the, the ones who didn't or didn't sort of stand out, I don't think you, you're thinking all oh, their places at risk. So, yeah, I mean, r- really, really good start for England. It's, yeah, no, no one did anything wrong, really, did they? Exactly, and you, you can't ask for anything more this early in a tournament, considering you know, considering what we're used to particularly in the Euros from England. I mean, that's that's the first time they've ever won their opening game at the Euros. It's We're used to almost chasing the group um, come the second game. So it's nice to be in a position where we're not having to do that and having won the first game, which I think on paper is our toughest game in the group. The reigning really World Cup runners up, you know, it, it, on paper. That's not just, a thing. Yeah. That's not a thing. It is. On paper, the they were runners up in the World Cup. So you can't have a, you you can't have a rain unless you win something. Uh, I think <laughs> I think that's as good a point to. Uh, Charles isn't the reigning next king, is he? No, but he is the reigning prince of Wales, and we've steered off, which shows just how close to uh, to eleven <laughs> o'clock at night it is as we're recording this one. Which I think Drink. is it is is a good place to bring it to an end. I think it's probably fair to say that there's been you know a lot of. A lot of stuff to take in so far, but thankfully, a lot of good football too. Good performance by England. I'm not getting carried away just yet, but as you say, Joe, um, as much as we could have asked for from from game one. We it's coming will... home. It's Joe, coming it... home, Pete. It's Joe... coming home. Joe and Maz are getting carried away, so there's a difference of opinion on that one. Maybe I will be if we win the next couple fairly handily. We'll be back after the next one, I think. We may be back before then, but we're definitely planning on coming back after England play Scotland, which is Friday, I want to say. So, yeah, until then, take care and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this week's show, you can find more of us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or you know, whatever your regular podcast provider is. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. You can also keep up with us on Twitter, at 4ATBPOD, 4 at the back pod. Thanks for listening.